This is Local Color, distributed by Your Public Studios, a podcast dedicated to the artists, entrepreneurs, and social innovators using their talents to make Baltimore and the DMV a better place. I'm your host, Jason V, and on the show today, Tashira Halyard, the fashion blogger and activist, labels herself as a, quote, attorney in recovery. She realized the world of law was taking everything from her, and when life came to a screeching halt, Tashira still tried putting her job before her health. To save her physical and mental health, Tashira left her job and built her dream life as an entrepreneur and content creator for her brand, politics, and fashion. Ego death is described as a, quote, complete loss of subjective self-identity. I've experienced ego death multiple times in my life. After all, your ego is constantly being formed and reformed based on life experiences. The ones that were brought on by, shall we say, field trips gave me a level of clarity about my life at that moment. Perhaps the most formative ego death I experienced was after a car accident left me unable to walk, drive, and even work. I sat in my studio apartment and took stock of my life, the people I surrounded myself with, and thought long and hard about who I wanted to be and what made me happy. Ego death is what led to the creation of this podcast. But what happens when you reject ego death or, more commonly, refuse to listen to your heart? When life forces you to come to terms with the fact that you're unhappy and you just ignore it and continue on? I feel like a lot of people have done that because the safer option was to march on, ignoring the thoughts gnawing at the back of your brain, screaming for you to make a change. My guest, Tashira Halyard, ignored her heart because she felt like she had to. She was an extremely successful lawyer, and as a woman of color in a high-powered industry, any sense of weakness would spell failure. She always wanted to be a full-time blogger, and she dabbled here and there, but in the face of death itself, she felt she had to march on. But eventually, she broke free from a cycle that took up all her mental and physical energy, and the old version of herself died. It was years in the making, but Tashira's ego death started as she was finishing law school. I started my blog because back then there was no social media, right? I don't know how old you are, how old the majority of your audience is, but there are those of us who are what I like to call geriatric millennials, right? We're at the top end of the millennials who remember a time where all you could do was like go to www.com, whatever the website was. And then you would get kind of like your daily news or for me, it was style inspiration. And so right as I was finishing law school, these blogs began to absolutely explode. Like they were everywhere. And me and all my friends were just obsessed and we were getting so many style tips and It became a thing where I thought to myself as I was graduating, like, I have to have a creative outlet. Law school has taken every single thing away from me. And not only that, but I was very active in community. I was a community organizer. And I remember, like, really being in love with style and fashion and beauty concepts. But as an organizer, all of my more, like, actively political peers were telling me, oh, that, you know, white people, white supremacy, you know, really trying to... um, get me to feel bad about fashion as an art form and I had seen it that way my entire life and so what I decided to do was create my platform because I wanted to merge these concepts of style and social justice and so that's where politics and fashion came from started as a blog in 2011 and it helped me to really get through every season of my life I always say 
it's the longest job I have ever had in my in my career. Something I noticed when I uh, started or when I was reading your blog, there's like a lack of punctuation and not capitalizing I when referring to yourself. And I wonder, was that intentional or was it just a quicker way of writing for you? No, it was very intentional because, you know, as I mentioned, when I started, I was active in community. I was knee deep in critical race theory and political texts. Um, I, uh, you know, for many years hosted a political education class at Sankofa here in D.C. Um, I was part of the Black activist community before Black Lives Matter even existed. And so some of the elders in the movement that I was reading and hearing speak, et cetera, that was the way that they they, they wrote, right? That was um, their kind of orientation to the world. The same thing with certain critical race theorists. And I decided to take that on. And over the years, it just kind of stuck. And so to this day, if you go to my blog, politicsandfashionblog.com, you'll still see um, kind of like the stream of consciousness, but more so it's kind of punctuated by a lack of punctuation or uh, of capitalization. Right, right. So the so not capitalizing the I is that a way to decenter yourself without like devaluing yourself? Exactly, exactly. Which is why I think a lot of our elders have done it over the years, um, and and not also to like think too deep about it. I also think it was one of those those things that set me apart um, from other people. Right, I, I'm I'm a creative, and so I think to myself, how can I express myself in a way that is unique to me? And it has always been the lowercase writing on the website. Throughout everything you've endured, working in law and your setbacks with building your business, like I said, um, I, I was reading your blog for like a good bit uh, when I was at work. So hopefully my manager doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> But I know that um, throughout your life, you know, in addition to going to law school, starting politics and fashion and just dealing with the world at large as a uh, as a black woman, you also dealt with um, cancer and the chemotherapy as somebody like for me, I got into a bad car accident uh, a few years back. And I know that during that recovery process and, and through physical therapy, it took a it gave me the opportunity to kind of just take stock of my life and really examine who I was and where I was going and the people that I was surrounding myself with. Uh, so so I ask you, do you feel like uh, that time helped you reframe what's important and how you want your life to be? Oh, yeah, absolutely, Jason. I mean, there was no way that I could have come out of it unscathed as far as how I saw the world. And most importantly for me, being on a being serious about my healing and my health in all the ways, not just physically. And so I was diagnosed with breast cancer very young, just a year before I'd had a very serious uh, bout with uterine fibroids. I had a hysterectomy at, I think, 34 and was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer at 35. And when I was diagnosed, my mom was also treating cancer. And today I'm a third generation survivor. My grandmother has beat the, the disease twice. So I have this very small, like maternal very strong, excuse me, maternal lineage of breast cancer. And I'm the kind of person that, I mean, this may be a little bit woo-woo to your audience, but I think everything happens for some sort of reason, right? There is a lesson to be learned. There is a tidbit. There's a nugget to be taken away from it. And for me, what I realized going through all those health challenges and that journey is that I needed to live my life differently. 
can always been in very high stakes, stressful environments since high school. I was the AP kid. I was the international baccalaureate kid, graduated college, magna cum laude, went to a top tier law school, started working at this, you know, highly coveted law firm as a guardian ad litem. And then went and worked for this national public policy organization. All I knew was stress. All I knew was to like follow the path and do the thing that I had been told to do. All I knew was to assimilate and that if I wasn't getting it right, that something was wrong with me. And the moment that I got breast cancer and two things happened. Number one, I delayed my treatment because of things that I had going on at work and I was being pressured to show up for those things and to not get treatment. And then number two, uh, my nephew, who was actually my cousin, but very much like my nephew, died in a horrific accident. He was only 21. And I remember having to like delay going to the, the viewing. Now, I'm from the South, so we call it a wake, right? I had to delay that because I was at my grandmother's house writing a grant report. After we laid him to rest, we have this celebration of life. Two days later, I'm back at chemo and I'm trying to like race to finish the same grant report before the chemo drugs take hold of me because I know I'm not going to be able to do anything else. And it was that moment that I thought to myself, this shit is egregious. Like no one should be living like this. These expectations should not be either on me from an external factor, nor should I have them on myself. And that was the moment that I decided to do something very, very different. And I began to make plans to transition myself out of that career. We'll be right back after a quick break. And when we return, I continue my conversation with entrepreneur and attorney in recovery, Tashira Halyard. I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. Stay with us. Hey, I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. And before the break, my guest Tashira Halyard spoke about her previous life that had her focusing on work in the midst of chemotherapy treatments for her cancer. She realized she had to make a change and hatched a plan to effectively buy herself out of her career. Once her bank account allowed her to, Tashira quit her job as an attorney to blog full-time with her brand, Politics and Fashion. There's been bumps in the road along the way, but for Tashira, those bumps are part of the journey to mastering her universe. What's the most recent lesson you learned, uh, again, taking this from your blog, as a perpetual student in this solopreneur game? Oh, I love this. I love this question. Um, I think the most recent lesson I learned, I'm going to give two. Um, one, Jason, would be about invoicing. I think that um, I was of the mindset that you do the work and then you get paid as a solopreneur, especially if you're like me and outside of the content creation, you also have consulting services that you do. So my brand for your audience has kind of two pillars on the politics side. I do a lot of equity consulting. I work with nonprofits around the country, helping them to execute their missions of becoming anti-racist organizations. I also do a lot of policy work, et cetera. Uh, and then I have the content creation where I work with brands, I have products, I have services, et cetera. And on the politics side, I had been, since I started my solopreneur journey, waiting until the service had been executed to invoice my client to then hopefully get paid within 30 days, right? What I have learned is that if people value me, they value my time, they value what I have to bring to the table, then there's nothing wrong with invoicing them half up front. Right. Because that's that's what I deserve. And, you know, I still have business expenses that I have to pay. I, you can't find a client who, who will ever tell you that I didn't show up early. <laughs> Never mind on time. Right. That I didn't always 
get my deliverables in early, if not on time, and make a, a very high commitment to this work. In tandem with that, I would say is that I'm very unapologetic about the need to pay black people and black women, especially. Right. I I just saw something today was a headline talking about how black women make 42 percent less than their white male counterpart. That's ridiculous. And so I go now into every consulting opportunity, understand that just as it goes to my efforts towards supporting black liberation, Right. I have to be the person that is willing to walk away from the contract if I'm not getting some portion of my dollars up front, because that is how I sustain myself. I can't perpetually be floating in between invoices. And I think that is what scares a lot of entrepreneurs. Right. We don't have that baseline income. Mm, Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because that was going to be uh, my follow up question is what advice would you give to a solopreneur who wants to get the money that they're owed uh, and not like in the literal sense, i.e. like someone actually owes them money. But how would you how would you advise somebody starting out how to value themselves and how to set that boundary and say, hey, look, the, the money is important, but it's not worth your integrity. Oh, absolutely. And and that's what I was actually going to say, you know, towards my second point, Jason, the thing that I've learned at this point in my solopreneur journey is that all money ain't good money. Mm. Um, and that there are times when I have to walk away either because I'm overcommitted or because someone is just not meeting my price. And And here's the thing that I'll say to people, your prices are not too much. The clients just can't afford you. Because there's somebody that can, right? And I think that we get so nervous and we have all this trepidation around, well, I can't charge people that, I can't charge people this. Yes, you absolutely can. Yes, you absolutely can. And just because your friend from college, you know, who has never worked in the industry that you were in, just because she has low self-esteem or whatever it is that she's projecting upon you, tells you, well, that's that's too high. I, I would never pay that much for that thing. Sis, that's okay for you. But that doesn't mean that somebody else wouldn't pay that much for the thing, (laughs) right? And I think standing true in your values and not allowing for the people around you who at the end of the day don't have the same level of skill set that you do and the same level of knowledge that you do to influence your prices and your business model. And I think that's tough, tough, especially for us as a people because we're communal, right? We we want to be supportive. We want to have our family and our friends at the table with us, but everybody is not meant to come along. Your price is your price is your price and and yesterday's price is not today's price. And right? And so I'm 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 really I'm really really committed to that, not because I'm like, you know, hyper pro capitalism trying to be Bill Gates trying to be Oprah. No, 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 no. For me it is a matter of equity. Because I know the money that is out there. I know what is on the table. And my grandfather mined phosphate for 40 years, backbreaking labor. Never, ever got the compensation that he deserved for the labor that he put into it. So me, as someone who has his educational privilege, I'm doing this for my granddaddy. You're going to pay me. I'm going to give half, get half up front. And once again, the price that you paid last month is not the price you're going to pay this month. Get your bag. <laughs> Absolutely. Those are uh, great lessons there. So let's move over to the uh, the fashion side of things. Obviously, yeah. you are, uh, you know, clearly a fashionista. And I saw on your Instagram, you were at New York Fashion Week. What was that like? Oh, yeah, Chile. 
Um, it was everything. It was all the things. My my four year old self was just so elated, so excited, and uh, despite all the stress and trying to experience something and capture it from a, from a professional lens at the same time, which can be tough. I know that I still had certain moments where I was able to sit back and reflect in real time and just be grateful and just think to myself like, "Wow." Good job, Shy. Um, and so it was inspiring. And it really is one of those few moments that you're around your, I guess, proverbial colleagues, right? It's not like I'm going into an office every day. And so the other Black women, women of color, people of color who were in this fashion space, I really only get to see them two, three times a year. And so it was great to be among the tribe for sure. What was your favorite outfit that you wore to New York Fashion Week? Oh, that's just like asking me to pick a favorite child, Jason. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It's not. I'm, I'm being extra. Um, I would probably say I wore a pink Palm Angels uh, shirt. I had on a pair of sunglasses by a Black-owned brand called Enroda. I had on a white skirt and some um, gold Jimmy Choo's. And it was like this moment of like where all the rhinestones were reflecting in the sun and it just felt to me like I was at my best as someone who has been committed to this since, I mean, since before I even probably stepped foot in school. I remember being three, four years old, being very particular about how I dress, having my my favorite outfit, wanting my hair to be a particular way. And so like coming full circle, I felt like that was probably the outfit that was the most of me that I put on. Awesome. That's great. I also, I like to, you know, match my outfits and stuff. And I know there's like every once in a while, you just put on an outfit and you're just like, mm, I'm just, I'm feeling myself. Right. The, the, the sun is shining. Everything is just going my way. This was meant to happen. Amen. So uh, I have the last two questions for you. Um, what is coming up next for you? Okay, so what is coming up next for me is the Politics and Passion Tribe. It is a paid community where we get together and we kiki once a month in our private lives that are a lot like sister circles. I like to say, Jason, that Politics and Fashion uses fashion as a modality to something larger. At the end of the day, I am a community organizer. And so I want to be among, you know, Black womanhood, Black sisterhood in a real way. And so that's what the tribe is for. And so people who are part of the tribe they have a monthly subscription to all of this great content that is nowhere else on the internet so that's one thing that is happening currently but i am preparing next month for the launch of my podcast with one of my best friends named margot lindauer and it is called justice uh but spelt like just us because it's just us two friends both of us reformed attorneys both touched by breast cancer me as a survivor margot as a previvor and we're going to be talking about wellness social justice all the things from a feminist lens and i think it's going to be a really dope way also to elucidate or to highlight like cross-cultural friendships because on the surface you would think that Margot and I have nothing in common she is a white Jewish woman from Boston I am a queer black woman from the south uh, but we met while I was in law school when she was a teaching fellow and it has been one of my strongest friendships that I've ever had in my life and I think people are going to really enjoy our interaction together through the podcast Awesome. Great. And then, uh, yeah, last question. White toenail season. Will it last forever? Yeah, because white toenail season is a mindset, Jason. You see, people, <laughs> people, people think it's about the white toes, but whether your toes are white or not, if you were committed to the thought life, then you gang gang, you know? Uh, 
<laughs> and so white toe nail season for folks who may not know is something that started very tongue in cheek that the tribe took and ran with it's because my cousin told me one time he said shall why are your toes always white that's for thoughts and i said thank you i love thoughts <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so from there it really became like this sex positive reproductive justice thing where um yeah, we got we got a manifesto. We are here with five principles. Go to the website, the social media to catch those five principles. And the indicator of such of the lifestyle is uh, to have white toenails. And, and typically, Jason, that's during the summer months. Right. So we go from Memorial Day to Labor Day. My toes ashamedly are now gray. I've had to ease myself out of the white only because <laughs> fall is here. But my commitment to the thought life still reigns supreme as the high priestess of Thoughtlandia. That was probably the best uh, answer to the final question I've had. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, I know that your time is very valuable and you only had a half hour, so we can go ahead and end it here. Tashira Halyard, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you so much. Tell your wife I said, hey, girl, hey. That was Tashira Halyard, founder of Politics and Fashion. Find her online at politicsandfashionblog.com. Her IG handle is at politics and f s h n thanks for listening to today's episode of local color the podcast is hosted and produced by me jason v the podcast is distributed by your public studios new episodes of local color will be released the second and fourth wednesday of each month please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review learn more about local color at wypr.org <laughs>